0: Go. Hello, this is Peter Joseph, and you're listening to V-Radio.
1: Hello, and welcome to this edition of V-Radio. Uh, tonight, our topic, um, I've actually had to rephrase the name of it a couple times to try to really get across to it, but um, on the forum post, it's Ayn Rand and the Philosophy of the NWO, or Uh, what philosophy would actually benefit the New World Order the best or something to that effect. But basically, today's show, we're going to be talking about how, um, despite all the accusations that we've been getting that supposedly our system would benefit, meaning the Venus Project idea would benefit the New World Order, we're going to be going after um, the, the psychology of the free market capitalist ideal, particularly when it comes to Ayn Rand. Um, and try to expose, as far as, like, you know, when we talk about philosophies and attitudes, which one would most benefit the NWO. Um, today, uh, I've got one panelist, um, Azzy. Go ahead and introduce yourself.
0: Hi, um, I'm Azzy. Um, I'm off the global website. And I'm a member of the Irish uh, chapter.
1: Well, thanks for coming on today, Azzy. You know it was kind of short notice. I did the show a little earlier today because I wanted to be able to include Azzy, and he lives in Ireland, so... Um, so some news, uh, first of all, before we get started, um, the Resource-Based Economy Caucus uh, in, within the Boston Tea Party is now running three candidates for the national committee of that political party, um, and uh, to join the Boston Tea Party is very easy. You go to bostontea.us, Boston as in the place, tea is in the drink, .us, Um, Joining the party is free. Um, I can go over a little bit more as far as what the caucus is about at another time, but um, three candidates from the caucus who basically support the resource-based economy solution are running for the National Committee there. Um, As I said, joining the party is free, and then you'll be able to vote for us, and it gives us kind of a sounding board into the political movement, so to speak, so that we can be heard um and if we had three people then we'd have a you know a good chunk of that particular committee uh because of the resource-based economy caucus i've been able to um get our information as far as zeitgeist movement into a lot of third-party news outlets that normally i wouldn't be able to do so with like independent political report for example is a place that i'm a writer at but i can't just write about stuff unless it's you know has something to do with politics so i mean as i had you know, talk to Peter Joseph about this, the third-party politics is the way to go as far as getting people who are actually interested in finding out-of-the-box solutions. So uh, that being said, um, you know, please consider joining the Boston Tea Party. As I said, it doesn't cost you anything. Everything's online. You don't need to go to any physical meetings. Um, you can vote just for joining. And um, you can also post various things that you might like on the public blog that's on the national website there. Um, other news, uh, the chip-in for the month of February is up, and uh, I also, after talking to my web host and uh, having a couple conversations with Roxanne and things about this, have um, decided that I'm going to put up another chip-in for the purpose of um, upgrading my system. Uh, if I can get a better processor, you know, some more RAM, things of that nature, I'll be able to do um, much better quality for the Zeitgeist shows as far as Zeitgeist TV, Obviously, that'll have a positive impact on V-Radio. And my eventual goal is I'm hoping that I'll be able to start broadcasting live events that are pertinent to the Zeitgeist movement on Zeitgeist TV. But my current machine is not quite strong enough to do this. There's a chip-in set up to do that. um, And um, it's totally optional. V-Radio will continue regardless of whether or not this chip-in is used. Um, So in any case... um, it is the blue chip-in is for donations for upgrades to V-Radio. The red chip-in is still just for the keeping my monthly expenses going. So uh, any donations you give there, I appreciate it. Um, I'm going to continue to do V-Radio no matter what. I'm just hoping to be able to expand what it is that I can do for the movement, and unfortunately that's going to require funds that I don't have. <laughs> so thanks again to everybody who's already donated, and I really appreciate it. So Anyway, um, once again, today I will be reading from my blog. I have provided the link to the blog in the chat room, uh, the Blog Talk Radio chat room. And um, I will at some point probably be taking calls just because I have a lot of time set aside for this and I only have one panelist today. Um, Thanks again, everybody. Um, Please visit vradio.org, v-radio.org, hyphen between the letter V and the word radio. Um, we've upgraded the site. For those of you who haven't checked it out, you really should. Um, BTV's must-see TV is there. Um, uh, in addition, um, you'll be able to you know, see the movie list for you know must-see TV's. TV is now directly there. You don't have to go to the Justin TV site anymore, except to make your account if you want to be able to participate in the chat. Um, but that's it. Uh, without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and begin. If you want to go ahead and mute, as go ahead. And um, I'll start reading. And um, if you get any, like, pertinent points that you want to bring up before I pause, like maybe you want to bring on a pause, just uh, send me a private message on my Skype. So thanks again for tuning in. Title of the blog for Friday, January 29, 2010 is when I posted this. uh, What philosophy would benefit the New World Order or NWO? One of the things we hear a lot about in debating the Venus Project is that people feel there is a similarity to what we propose and what the New World Order proposes for the future of our planet. They also generally make a lot of references to things we might, in their perception, have in common with communists or socialists and how these systems lead directly to fascism. I reviewed all of those arguments and refuted them more than once, but it occurred to me that the attitude of the extreme right would equally be useful to any sort of NWO group of elites trying to dominate the world. Consider for a moment the ideology we have been given by free market capitalists, especially the anarcho-capitalists. They preach endlessly about how we owe all of our economic woes to government intervention in the realm of business, that all of the success in the United States came from the absence of regulation that the rest of the world had. I have spoken on the issue, as as I said more than once, as, as far as to why I do not agree that this is the cause of all of our economic woes, so I'm not going to get into that as much. However, let's example for a moment what negatives could come out of their proposals and how they would benefit or reach a rich elite intent on taking over the world. I admit that some regulations are stupid, but some regulations exist to ensure that employers are treated, treating their workers fair and humanely and also so that a fair wage is given for a hard day's work. Ludwig von Mises always suggests, for those of you who don't know who that is, it's one of the big time free market capitalist authors, Anyway, um, always suggests that if an employer offers less wages than another employer that the workers will simply leave the business and work elsewhere. This, of course, forcing the businessman to raise his wages to compete for the workforce. We already see that technological unemployment and outright greed are proving this is no longer the case. Nobody's competing for workforce anymore. It's at least not where I live. it's It's all about people like competing to uh, do as little as possible, basically or you know, basically to do as much as possible. I'm sorry to get employers to even be willing to employ them. We've already covered that a lot in previous shows, so I'll shut up about it. But another thing you're going to find is that most free market advocates dislike unions and demonize them. Now, once again, I also warrant that some unions are out of control. But as we see with companies like Walmart, who has no unions, and the work conditions of the factories in third world countries with no unions, it's pretty obvious that there should still be an organization of workers to stand up for workers' rights. The game is no longer a matter of competing for a good workforce. The game is one of destroying the local economy and forcing workers to compete for whatever scraps you throw off the table. Now, who benefits from such a state of affairs? Certainly not the worker, but it does wonders for any rich elite. Though I have known many wealthy free market advocates, the ones who actually terrify me far more are those who live in poverty who fight vehemently for the concepts of a free market. A lot of the activists who are helping the campaign for Ron Paul fit into this category. And looking back on it, it perplexes me. People are telling us that the Venus Project is just some sort of front to convince us to give up our rights. But what would be more effective to that end? A solution that states that all humans should be treated equally and have equal access to the best lifestyle scientifically possible? Or a solution that advocates eliminating all government intervention? and giving all power to the people who are already seeking to exploit the masses as much as possible, to actively persecute anyone who suggests that there should be intervention on behalf of the people, to label them communists or socialists. As pointed out in the film Capitalism and Other Kid Stuff, it was necessary for the elite to convince us that it is right and proper that the elite have all the money and we do all the work. Which side of this argument benefits an NWO bent on turning us all into slaves? So before I get into the issues about Ayn Rand, um, I'm going to discuss a little bit on this, and I'm going to see if Azzy has anything to add at this point in the blog. So, Azzy, you got anything to say so far?
0: No, nothing. Go ahead.
1: Well, um, basically, it's it's important to note where I'm going with this, because when you think about the various accusations that are made, that supposedly, uh, supposedly we are in some way affecting people mentally to try to convince them that you know, we should be giving up our rights and all that. They always claim basically that the, the Venus Project ideology is like a gatekeeper to the new world order, that essentially we're supposed to be getting brainwashed slowly to be more accepting of a new world order. But you know, as I was saying earlier, you know, as I'm talking about capitalism and other kids' stuff, it was necessary for the elite to convince us that it is right and proper that the elite have all the money and we do all the work. That's the mentality that I'm talking about that scares me is because people are being taught that that's what needs to be, that that's how it should be, that it is right and proper, that um, the rich should have all the money and we should do all the work, and that a few people should have most of the money and most people shouldn't. We basically have been brainwashed to believe that that's the way it should be. Okay, And when you think about it, you, you couple that with the stuff we're going to be going into here about Ayn Rand, but um, you're talking about, You know how we want to. The attitude about it is these people are vehemently. Once again, they're fighting against the ideas of regulation um, and any form of taxation. I can understand some of that, but they make it the scapegoat. When after, when you actually look at the real truth of the matter, obviously that's it's much more complicated than that. It's generally not government regulation. Like if you go to my must-see TV list, one of them is a very brief documentary. One of the movies is called um, Outsourcing Greenville where they basically exposed a company that was building refrigerators in Michigan forever and then just outsourced to Mexico. And regardless of any kind of um, concessions that the workers made, pay cuts or whatever, it, it, nothing that they could do would convince this company not to go to Mexico. And it wasn't because of government regulations or taxations, because the local community was trying to give them tax breaks. It came down to $1. forty-three an hour, period. You can pay the Mexican a forty-three an hour. You can't do that to, you know, to somebody living in the United States. That's the bottom line. So, um, and the attitude that is being portrayed in a lot of these freedom movements is that it's wrong for the government to in any way intervene to cause you know, the, the lifestyle you know, of people to improve. And then they give us this theory. They say to us, well, if we just deregulate everything, well, then everything will be great. You know, then all of a sudden, these companies, you know, will all just because, well, that's the other thing. Remember, we talked about this earlier on another show, which was that they believe that after productivity increases, wages increase. They act as though, well, it's historical precedent. You can't argue with that. It's generally what they tell you when the reality is that the opposite is happening. You know, once again, we've covered that on a lot of my shows already, but so what we're talking about today that's more relevant about this is the mentality of the people who are basically being taught to defend that system. And when I was talking about the ones in poverty, one of the guys I used to work at, you know, work with um at um Ron Paul Radio uh was this guy, you know, he was one of the people running it and he was this destitute guy living in a trailer in some piece of land in you know New Mexico somewhere. And he was this, you know, ardent defender of free market capitalism, but what the hell it had it ever done for him? You know. Yeah, but he was totally brainwashed to think that, you know, if we just got rid of all regulations, you know, that everything would be fine. And that's the kind of thing that I'm concerned about is that, you know, basically these movements are telling us that it would be in our best interests to give up all of our rights, get all of our protections, all of the things that hinder the elite from just outright owning us as slaves. And we're told that that's the way it should be. So do you have any further comment before I go on, Azzy?
0: Yeah, it just kind of seems like that um, people take this from different perspectives. I mean, you can say, well, yeah, one word, globalization, you know, the wage um, to the amount of work they put in, the ratio, it doesn't fit. But it seems like that, um, you know, you could say, sure, uh, deregulate the markets, um, and then that goes down a really nasty road, and they think that's the great way, where other people say, no, that's precisely what a new world order would want but then you get people saying well what's the alternative well we have more government power over things but then again you get more people saying no that's what the new world order would want and then you get people like us saying no let's try a different thing called a resource-based economy which again you get people saying no that's what a new world order would want so I don't know it it seems like um, no matter what we try and do we'll always get people thinking things like this.
1: You know, you're right. And it's the, the really funny thing about that, though, is, is that the people who generally, like particularly in the Ron Paul movement, they ardently defend the constitutional republic model of the founding fathers. And they put the founding fathers up on these great shrines, meaning the founding fathers of the United States, that these great people who had so much freedom in mind and You know, that the Constitution was a wonderful document. I've already been over the fact that, you know, they they always quote that when they're defending private property rights. And I point out that the the founding fathers were slave owners and thought that private property should include other human beings. Um, But um, they generally say, well, if we could just get good politicians, you know, in, in everything, the system will be fine. Don't blame the corporations. Actually, talking badly about corporations in that circle is actually a good way to get in trouble. Like I got kicked off the air once for doing that in one of the um, freedom networks I worked on um, because they said I must be a socialist, you know some socialist propagandist, and that's the reason I don't like you know big corporations doing things like slave labor in third world countries. I got made fun of and told I was a bleeding heart liberal for caring about the people who are being made into slave labor in third world countries. And that's that's even more scary to me because even in the free market system, if it was ever going to work, you'd have to have consumer advocacy groups that were monitoring what these people are doing. You see, they claim the consumer is going to fix all this stuff, and they brainwash people to go along with that. You know, So unless you have anything further, I'm going to go ahead and continue reading. Um,
0: yeah, I just – That's usually what happens, that you get demonized for your opinions when it differs from the majority that you're involved in, and that it comes to a point where you're just completely alienated, even though what you're saying may be the actual logical point of view compared to theirs, that they're so brainwashed in their own fantasy that... I mean, most of them will admit, I mean, the central ones will admit that, no, it's not perfect, but we're still trying to get there. And that it's the kind of, we're trying to get there. We're still on the journey to get to it. Well, when's that journey going to stop?
1: <laughs> yep, that reminds me of, uh, once again, I, I think of capitalism and other kids stuff with Patty, Patty Shannon, who is going to be on the show eventually, I might add. Um, he's just been having problems with scheduling, pointing out, he's like, capitalism is like a car that's always on blocks with a politician you know, um, looking at the car and another one in the bonnet saying, oh, dear, oh, dear, you know, and you get told, you're like, you know, that supposedly we, we've almost fixed capitalism, yet you never, you know, you keep paying the bills, yet for some reason the car's never running. Um, it never gets fixed. It, it's forever screwed up. And they claim that that'll all go away if we just get rid of all controls, i.e. government controls. The only thing that ever in any way is, you know, even has to pay lip service to stop them from just outright owning us. Anything short of having some government intervention in that system is going to lead directly to anarcho-capitalism, and we've already talked about why that's crazy. So um, in any case, um, I'm going to go ahead and continue reading. So let's take a look at one of the champions of the libertarian free market types. Her pen name is Ayn Rand. She wrote several books, both fiction and nonfiction. This is from the Wikipedia entry. Rand's political views reflected in both her fiction and her theoretical work emphasized individual rights, including property rights, and laissez-faire capitalism enforced by a constitutionally limited government. She was a fierce opponent of all forms of collectivism and statism, including fascism, communism, socialism, and the welfare state. Now. I, I, I had never actually read this person, even when I was involved with uh, the Libertarian Party. I never really read their books to begin, and I, I'd heard a lot of people just worshipping this woman. And the more I did, more I finally studied into her, the more I became really uh, unnerved. Because remember, once again, that's the thing that you know these conspiracy theorists who are telling us that we're the NWO. You know, gatekeepers always do is that they try to get into you know the the, the Jacques Fresco's life. I mean, they, it's really hard for them to find anything. They they have a couple of you know associations. Most of them are stupid things like, oh, well, Venus is the morning star. Well, I took a pretty deep look at uh, Ayn Rand, and when I was finished, I was thoroughly disgusted, and I was actually ashamed that I had ever been part of a party that reveres such a person. We'll get into that now as I read further. Now, she has been quoted comparing herself to Aristotle, thinking rather highly of herself, and her or- worshippers echo these arrogant statements all the time. Um, doesn't sound necessarily so bad at first, right? She founded this philosophy called objectivism. Her more famous book was, uh, books were Atlas Shrugged and The Fountainhead. Now, my first exposure to the book, The Fountainhead, was in the movie Dirty Dancing, where one of the characters in the movie was justifying that he had gotten a woman pregnant with no intention of helping her out by saying some people matter and some people don't and pulling out a copy of the book indicating to the main character that she should read it and understand his, to understand his callous attitude. (laughs) Um, Now, objectivism is this thing that she founded. It's rather complicated, but what it basically amounts to is the idea that everyone should be totally selfish. Okay. In most of Ayn Rand's books, her fictional books, the heroes are always in some way selfish and callous capitalists, and the villains are generally the masses. In her book, we the living rand had her chief protagonist proclaim what are your masses but mud to be ground underfoot fuel to be burned for those who deserve it okay <laughs> does that sound like something someone in the nwo might say you know like that sounds exactly like something i would have heard from alex jones's end game I, I bring that up again later but i can tell you it's certainly not something jock fresco would ever say what do you think of that quote azzy should i read it again
0: I should read it again for just effect.
1: <laughs> this is a quote from one of the heroes of her book. What are your masses but mud to be ground underfoot, fuel to be burned for those who deserve it? Got that statement, ugly, you know? That's <laughs> Anyway, um, so the following is a quote from another blog about Ayn Rand that can be found at the sources li- source links at the end of this article. Quote, Grant's disdain for the bulk of humanity was indeed so extreme that in the aforementioned Atlas Shrugged, whose main character and hero, John Galt, had been referenced on numerous Tea Party signs, not Boston Tea Party, I might add, just those recent political things that people have been doing called Tea Parties, she indulges a pseudo genocidal fantasy in which virtually everyone except Galt and his few perfect producers is vanquished. <laughs> Here we go. Whoa, now, that sounds pretty familiar. Virtually everyone but those elite, perfect producers is vanquished? That sounds dangerously like that stuff Alex Jones brings up in Endgame. I mean, do you see where I'm going with that, Azim? Mean, doesn't that sound yeah, familiar? Yeah, I see you going. Yeah. It sounds
0: like strangely related to uh, game theory.
1: Yeah. Now, quoting Moore, um, this quote's a little longer, quote, This happy occurrence results from a strike of the mind in which Gulp and his superior colleagues of industry withdraw their talents from the nation and hole up in a mountain retreat rather than submit to things like government regulations. Those whom Gulp condemns in the book and thus whom Rand is herself condemning are referred to as parasites who are unworthy of life. Indeed, Gulp's contempt for the weak of the world prompts he and his colleagues to banish the world, give from their small utopian gulch, Uh, They banish the word, I'm sorry, give, from their small utopian gulch. Giving, after all, much like calls for community service, is for suckers. So basically, in this little uh, fantasy of hers where the rich elite go on strike, okay, to try to prove to everybody, you know, to try to spank us, so to speak, and, you know, just, you know, conforming to whatever they want, they banish the word give, okay, so... Anyway, and you're not allowed to say the word give in this little commune of the elite, I guess. Giving, after all, much like the – I already read that. Even though Galt feels certain that his strike may well kill the vast majority of the world's inhabitants because they are simply too stupid to survive without he and the other perfect producers, he firmly believes – and thus so does Rand – that this outcome is moral, more so than, say, taxes or charity – in keeping with this strange morality, he not only withdraws his superior talent but also sabotages the nation's infrastructure, the roads and bridges, thereby making the transport of fuel and grain impossible, resulting in chaos, starvation, and general suffering. Once again, this is the hero of one of her books, and he's behaving exactly like all the stuff that's in Endgame, the whole notion that we're just going to kill off the majority of the planet so that we can rule it, and I'm going to go back, but... This is what the Randbots are reading, the vision of a society they endorse, one compromised of better people and decided inferiors, subhumans even, who are worthy of death for their laziness, their sloth, their lack of industriousness. No wonder people imbued with such a truly sadistic mindset at this would oppose health care reform. To this way of thought, those without health care deserve their suffering, and that suffering should be of no concern to the rest of us, end quote. Before I open this to discussion, I'm going to read another blog about this example. Uh, quote, she explained her philosophy at first through the potboilers like the Fountainhead. One of her heroes boasts that he is the polar opposite of Robin Hood. He was the man, quote within the quote, he was the man who robbed the rich and gave to the poor. I am the man who robs the poor and gives to the rich. Or to be more exact, the man who robs the thieving poor and gives back to the productive rich. End quote within the quote, but we're still in a quote. If you want a sign of Rand's quiet victory, close your eyes and realize that this could be Dick Cheney in one of his more candid moments, explaining the logic behind his massive tax cuts for the wealthy. Now, and then this last example starts to draw the parallels I was talking about. Um, now, once again, this is talking about that, like, you know, to further elaborate on that idea of a strike of the elite. Quote, Rand's morality was a perfect fit for the age of the celebrity billionaire. She conjures a world where the CEO... CEO is Messiah, where the sign of the cross is replaced with the sign of the dollar. That's not a joke, by the way. She had a dollar sign on her grave rather than a um, cross. does matter. She wasn't religious. But anyway, and where hideous penis proxies like Trump Towers are the pinnacle of human achievement. In her novel, Atlas Shrugged, the world's billionaires, the Ted Turners, the Donald Trumps, go on strike to protest against insane regulations and exorbitant tax handed down from Washington, D.C., the country quickly regresses into anarchy with businesses collapsing, food distribution networks falling apart, and America becoming a wasteland. Until finally the grateful populace welcomes back their economic overlords and promises to never again pester them with wild notions like taxation or regulation. Um, so <laughs> the next part actually goes more to talking about what Rand says, so I'll pause here. Um, do you have any comments so far, Ezzy?
0: Yeah, she's uh, she's a little to the right on this, isn't she?
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, and somebody in the chat is saying, "Wow, that's evil. Sounds very neoconservative." Yeah. As I read further into the blog, Zane, you're going to see a lot of that. I actually said that a lot of her stuff seems to be like the mind comp of the neoconservative movement. Um. You know, and it's the notion that you know she's basically she's setting up these heroes. These heroes are people who are you know the rich elite heroes are the ones that are always the the protagonists in her books, you know, the, the good guys, so to speak. And then the bad guys are, you know, people who might want to be treated, you know, well, <laughs> who happen to be poor. Um, and I, once again, though, when you look at this, what is this, this strike we're talking about? Okay. They talk about something very similar in the new world order concept. If you're, you know, that's once again, provided we believe the stuff that Alex Jones says, but, but the reason for this story is not for me to say that there is a new world order. It's more that has to do with the fact that we're talking about the fact that if there was a new world order, the means by which that most of these people, including Alex Jones, who's another free market Ron Paul worshiper type, um, You know, the idea is that they're trying to push on everybody, that you're attacked by those people if you don't go along with include things like this. And this is the attitude. This is where this comes from you know so here we have Ayn Rand the great thinker you know they try to go after Jacques Fresco supposedly the great thinker but yeah I've listened to, you know, once again I don't really think too highly of Ayn Rand but they call her one of the greatest thinkers of all time you know the, the stuff that people say to exalt this woman is just crazy um, and in, in any case um, so I just that's the kind of attitude that I'm trying to compare here is that this is in her books she's glorifying these characters these are the heroes who do these sociopathic evil things, okay? Now, in this idea of the, of the, of the um, uh, if you remember Endgame, the, the elite getting together in their little private commune and then intentionally sabotaging the rest of the world is an example of um, that same you know, attitude that they talk about in Endgame, that supposedly they're just gonna you know, cause mass starvation and be the only people left, because after all, they're the productive rich. Um, One thing I didn't include in this blog because the blog was so loud or not loud, long was there's a story like where one of these rich, like capitalist types that she glorifies sabotages a train, like in kind of a, a terrorist act. And, you know, Rand goes in to the train from the perspective of the author and then basically says that all the people who die on this train had it coming because every one of them was a socialist or a leftist. Like she goes and talks from the perspective of every one of the people on the train that died, and every single one of them held that terrible philosophy that, you know, doesn't involve thinking only for yourself. And so if you think this stuff is chilling, just wait till I go further into the story. So now, I go on to read the blog. Now, these are assessments of Rand's work. So maybe something was lost in the interpretation. It's possible that her method of thinking is not necessarily being practiced by the world's elite, Right. Well, let's take a a look at some of her own words, okay? These are not like people talking about her. These are her own words. Take a look at this statement made by her to the 1974 graduates of West Point. Now, this is a direct quote. This is about Native Americans, okay? They didn't have any rights to the land. There was no reason for anyone to grant them rights, which they had not conceived and were not using. What was it they were fighting for when they opposed white men on this continent? For their wish to continue a primitive existence, their right to keep part of the earth untouched, unused, and not even as property, but just everybody out so that they will live practically like an animal, or just to keep everybody out so that they could live practically like an animal, or a few caves above it, any white person who brings the element of civilization has the right to take over this continent. The first time I read that quote, I became absolutely disgusted that I was ever involved in the Libertarian Party or the Libertarian Movement. This quote basically personifies the darkest side of capitalism, and I find that highly ironic that this woman is also supposedly the author of the non-aggression principle that the libertarians supposedly revere. Okay. So, And this same attitude could easily have applied to justify all of the other wars this capitalist system has brought about in the past. She says she is against physical aggression, but then she justifies it in the name of profit and progress. I suppose this means it's just fine for the United States to do this in any third world country that is less developed than our own. This notion that the rich and advanced not only uh, can take over land held by people inferior to them, but that they should is terrifying to me. And once again, where does that attitude prevail? The more I have delved into Ayn Rand's work, the more I get the feeling that it's almost the equivalent of the mind comp of the neoconservative movement like what I was just posting earlier. Okay. So, Let's take a moment and think about this. I mean, Azzy, did I read the quote well enough to make it clear what she was saying?
0: I'm sorry. I'm too caught up being disgusted. (laughs) It's, it's like a prequel to Soylent Green.
1: I'm not familiar with Soylent Green. Go ahead and tell me what that's about.
0: Well, uh, loosely related, but, um, I don't want to ruin the catch line. You can, you can look it up later. Anyone who's seen it will get it.
1: Hmm. Well, basically, she goes on to say that you didn't have any rights to land. There was no reason or anyone to grant them rights. This is somebody who supposedly is a big ardent defender of private property rights. And she basically just goes on to say that, you know, any white person who brings the element of civilization has the right to take over this continent. And she said this to graduates of West Point. Now, think about that, okay? This is somebody who's telling our military graduates at West Point, okay, the supposed creme de la creme of the military, that we have the right to take over this continent if we bring the element of civilization and by saying that it's another thing there are several other quotes about this that she doesn't like you know care to speak about you know any of the rights being taken away from native americans she has very callous and cruel things to say about them and i guess they, that means that they had a right to you know give blankets uh, intentionally to the natives that were tainted, you know, tainted with smallpox that they had a right to slaughter every man woman and child as necessary to get them off of the land that they wanted for their railroads or whatever You know, including the Cherokee whom I might add this is the funny thing the Cherokee were actually trying to uh, essentially civilize themselves they had their own constitution and and they were still shoved off their land <coughs> but you know they didn't have as many guns so I guess that means they're you know <laughs> there was actually somebody in one of the Zeitgeist forum posts about this Ayn Rand question who was like well sorry guys you know you know, I guess you're not as good at conquering as we are, so we're going to take your land. And he was actually using this as a defense. And I was like, are you serious? Did you just say that? You know, it just, that that keeps bringing me back to that attitude that, you know, I said earlier about how some of the people in this movement really don't get it. Um, Now, anyway, uh, I am sure, I'm going back to reading. I'm sure many of you remember my previous statements that several of the most anarchistic authority-hating personalities I encountered in the Libertarian Party were in their personal lives rather tyrannical. Um, In another article entitled The Sociology of the Ayn Rand Cult by Murray N. Rothbard, the author exposed the very authoritarian way in which the objectivist inner circle was controlled by Ayn Rand. She went on to pressure people into marriages they were not happy with and pressuring her protege into having a sexual affair with her when both he and herself were already married. After an in-depth analysis, the author concludes with this, quote, We conclude our analysis of the Rand cult with the observation that there was an extreme example of contradiction between the exoteric and the esoteric creed, uh, that in the name of individuality, reason, and liberty, the Rand cult, in effect, preached something totally different. The Rand cult was concerned not with every man's individuality, but only with Rand's individuality, not with everyone's right reason, but only with Rand's reason, the only individuality that flowered to the extent of blotting out all others was Ayn Rand's herself. Everyone else was to become a cipher subject to Rand's mind and will. Um, I really advise you to check out that Ayn Rand cult stuff because it really does look like you know, the neoconservative movement. Um, and the way that it was dealt with was Ayn Rand really had the ability to excommunicate you. It was like a religion. Nobody would ever talk to you again. Um, the incident um, of her basically telling these two people that they needed to be married who basically had openly told her that they weren't attracted to each other. She said, no, no, you need to do this because it's the rational solution. You know, um, in addition to that, there were, you know, she was the absolute like queen of her little group, you know, which ironically was called the collective. I might add, for supposedly being as anti-collectivist as they are. Um, yeah. Um, and I guess they said that it was a joke or whatever. I still find it ironic because it was a collective and she was the dictator you know, um, so it, it, the situation with her, like basically she had her husband who was, I you know, I guess was very hurt by her having this um, affair that she had right in front of him, you know, just went out of her way to make it bad. Now, the only reason any of this is relevant, okay, because you know, technically you, you could look at this as, as an ad hominem if we we're just talking about her philosophies, but this is the kind of person that we're talking about. She's preaching about, you know, freedom and, you know – Free thinking and all that other stuff while she's telling people that, no, you're going to get married. She basically arranges the marriage of somebody else, and you, you're going to have an affair with me. You know, and the funny thing is is that when you look at the the Wikipedia quote for the collectivist group, or not collectivist, I'm sorry, the objectivist movement, they say, under some strange circumstances, Ayn Rand and her protege parted ways. They don't tell what it is. in and, and a different blog, however, they do reveal what it is. The reason that her and her protégé broke up is because her protégé, her whom she essentially, as I said, pressured into having a relationship with her because she felt it was a
0: um
1: that she actually compared it to one of the affairs in one of her books. It was a rational affair. Um, well, he ended up like having an affair of his own. She found out about it and got upset about it and then cast him out of the, uh, the objectivist movement, uh, totally excommunicated him. So it was okay for her to have an affair. It wasn't okay for him to have one. so, Right. Um, <laughs> and, you know, once again, I'm just saying that these people are trying to, you know, these people are revered as, like, these, you know, these paradigms of, like, you know, freedom and virtue, that this person was just another selfish, you know, human being who didn't care about anybody but herself. Okay. Now, did you have anything to say on that before I continue?
0: Yeah, it sounds like a neoconservative Waco.
1: Right. Yeah. Uh, so, um, it's like from the chat room, uh, Zane is like, um, haha, more morals aside. If people keep that mindset, we're going extinct. Um, now I'm going to continue reading the more I peeled away layer after layer of information about Ayn Rand, the more I stumbled on things that disturbed me. um, I would say the final nail in the coffin for me was the matter of her glorification of a man named William Edward Hickman. This next quote from another article about Ayn Rand entitled Romancing the Stone Cold Killer, Ayn Rand and William Hickman by Michael Prescott. Um, This is a quote from, um, from her journal, apparently, like the personal journal of Ayn Rand. In her journal circa 1928, Rand quoted the statement, What is good for me is right a credo attributed to a prominent figure of the day, William Edward Hickman. Her response was enthusiastic. Uh, The best and strongest expression of a real man's psychology I have ever heard, she exalted, quoted in Ryan's Setting Journals of Ayn Rand, pages 21 and 22. At the time, she was planning a novel uh, that was to be titled The Little Street, and the projected hero of which was named Danny Renehan, According to Rand, scholar Chris uh, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, according to Rand scholar Chris Matthew Schiavara, she deliberately modeled Renahan intended to be her first sketch of her ideal man after this same William Edward Hickman. Renahan, she enthuses in another journal entry, quote, is born with a wonderful free light consciousness resulting from the absolute lack of social instinct or herd feeling. He does not understand because he has no organ for understanding the necessity meaning of meaning or importance of other people. other people do not exist for him, and he does not understand why they should okay now, even if like we're not associating this with Hickman and I'll get into why Hickman's bad in a minute this is somebody she's exalting that the ideal, perfect man in this free market. Um, you know, ideology is somebody who does not, you know, th- does not basically have any necessity, meaning, or importance for any of anybody but themselves, okay? And that is sociopathic, period. It is textbook sociopathic, okay? Um, now, now we're going to get into Hickman. William Edward Hickman, the guy that he, she's apparently basing this character off of, was one of the most famous men in America in 1928, but he gained by his fame in a way that perhaps should should have given pause to Ayn Rand before she decided that um, that he was a real man worthy of enshrinement in her pantheon of fictional heroes. You see, Hickman was a forger, an armed robber, a child kidnapper, and a multiple murderer. The details of this man's crime were given in the blog I mentioned. As I stated, I will link it below. But the short form is this. He abducted a 12-year-old girl, sent taunting ransom notes to her family. They arranged to pay for the ransom. After they received the money, the driver tossed the uh, the corpse of the girl onto the street and drove away. Um, Now, while Rand never, of course, endorsed or praised his actions specifically in this instance, she did glorify him in other ways. She was extremely impressed with his lack of caring for others. Okay. From that same article we are having, uh, basically, where we have some quotes from Rand herself about the issue. This is not just the case of a terrible crime. It is not the crime alone that has raised the fury of public hatred. It is the case of a daring challenge to society. This is her talking. It is the fact that a crime has been committed by one man alone, that this man knew it was against all laws of humanity and intended it that way, but he does not want to recognize it as a crime and that he feels superior to all. It is the amazing picture of a man with no regard whatever, whatsoever for all that society holds sacred, and with a consciousness all his own, a man who really stands alone in action and in soul. <laughs> uh, quote, again, we get an idea from the of the sins and crimes of ordinary people when Rand discusses the jury in the case. This is basically Rand talking about the jury in the case of this child murderer, okay? Um, now, quote, Average, everyday, rather stupid-looking citizens, shabbily dressed, dried, worn-looking little men, fat, overdressed, very average, dignified housewives. How can they decide the fate of that boy or anyone's fate? Now, here we have her glorifying him further and then going on to state that the jury was in some way unworthy of judging him, that he was on some sort of pedestal of humanity, okay, and once again, I, I didn't want to detail all the, 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 the stuff that was in that murder of that 12-year-old girl, but basically he cut her body in half, had her in the passenger seat of the car with her eyes wired open so that her father would believe that he, she was still alive, went and got the money, got back into the car, pulled down the street, and laughed and dumped the body out of the car in pieces as her father watched. Okay? This is the guy. That's what he did. Okay? You read all about it in some of the blogs linked at the bottom of my blog. All right? Now, we go back to, quote, her uh, talking about this guy again. Quote, and when we look at the other side of it, there is a brilliant, unusual, exceptional boy turned into a purposeless, purposeless monster. By whom? By what? It is not by the very society that is now yelling so virtuously in the role of the innocent victim, he had a brilliant mind and a romantic, adventurous, impatient soul and a straight, uncompromising, proud character. What had society to offer him? A wretched, insane family is the ideal home. A YMCA club as a social honor and a bank, bank page job as an ambition and career. So, wow. <laughs> um, there's a little more here. I'm going to go ahead and read it. Now, this blog post is pretty, already pretty darn long, but I want to make one more comment on this woman's feelings about this man, then we get to the point. Also from that same article, at times Rand, who we must remember was still quite young when she wrote these notes, appears to be rather infatuated with the famous and charismatic boy killer. She offers a long paragraph listing all the things she likes about Hickman, somewhat in the manner of a love-struck teenager recording her favorite details about the lead singer in a boy band, Rand's inventory includes, quote, the fact he looks like uh, he looks like a bad boy with a very winning grin, but he makes you like him the whole time you're in his presence, end quote. You can practically hear the young aspiring author's heart fluttering. I have always been puzzled by the psychology of women who write love letters to serial killers in prison. Somehow I suspect Ayn Rand would have understood them better than I do. <coughs> now, we come to so... Uh, Actually, let me go ahead and um we'll, we'll talk a little bit about this, and then we'll get into the rest of it, like the semi- you know like the final summary. So, having listened to all of that, um, I'm sure you were disgusted before about the stuff with the Native American. What do you think about this woman's love affair with this murderer? Uh,
0: can words describe the the amount of uh, I, I can't even put an emotion to it i it's uh it's tough it words can't wield what i what i'm thinking
1: <laughs> words can't wield it well yeah um you know and once again you know she did say that she didn't you know she didn't think that his crime was right but her big thing on this was she claimed that the only reason everybody came down on him was not because of his crime but because of his attitude that because he was so flippant and didn't care about anybody but himself that's why they went after him she basically tries to glorify him as some kind of martyr of freedom you know um, and that the only reason that society went after him was just because of his free, independent thinking attitude, you know, and not because of the crime of the 12-year-old girl, you know, where he murders a 12-year-old girl. You know, I – you know, and you know what's uh, even crazier about this dude, okay? You'll never guess what apparently he wanted the ransom money for. Take a guess.
0: Uh, I don't know. A plane ticket to get away from it all.
1: Bible school.
0: Bible school.
1: Yep. He needed the money for Bible school, apparently. I guess he wanted to be a priest or a minister.
0: Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Interestingly <laughs> yeah. enough, um, Alan Greenspan is um, affiliated with this objectiveness, uh, objectiveness movement. Oh, yeah, you know of what? Day.
1: You're right, and I forgot to put that in my blog. Thank you for pointing that out, because it's good that I can tell the listeners. Yeah, Alan Greenspan former chairman of the uh, federal reserve was a member of the objectivist movement. That's what they're called. Um, Alan Greenspan. So chairman of the federal reserve uh, before Ben Bernanke, I believe was when he you know, did his little rule. And once again, you know, this is the objectivist movement. There's a, a few differences. Like Ayn Rand didn't really like the libertarian movement, for example, because they weren't elitist enough for her. Um, but, most of the people I know in the libertarian movement absolutely worship Ayn Rand, um, including some of these other controversial figures like the one I told you about earlier in another show who thought that child pornography should be legal is an example of the kind of attitude that comes out of this, this thinking of, you know, like, remember, you know, the, the statement that made Ayn Rand worship this guy was the, what is it, what is good for me is right, was his statement. You know, that's, if that's the way you're going to govern yourself, you have to think for a moment about that. What does that mean? Well, that means that invading Iraq under false pretenses and murdering millions of people is good for me, so it must be right because I need oil. You know, it means that uh, killing Native Americans so that we can capitalize on, you know, the resources and land in the United States is good for me, so therefore it must be right. You know, this is the kind of dark, like, evil, uncaring attitude that the New World Order supposedly, according to the, like I said, endgame, uh, encompasses and, and worships and just thinks is the way to go. You know, it, people talk about, you know, for example, they try to link Satanism and the world, New World Order. Well, being somebody who's somewhat familiar with Anton LaVey and Satanism, for example, everything that I just said, this whole, this whole attitude, these principles of selfishness and what's right for me is right, is all Satanism, okay? It's textbook Satanism. I can just hear Anton LeVay's words in my head, okay, <laughs> um, as, as, as we're reading this. Okay, and um, although I don't care about the spiritual aspects of it, the philosophy in of itself is extremely destructive. And generally, I mean, it's, it would be very destructive, particularly if that's the attitude being practiced by the rich elite who run the world. So I'm going to go ahead and um, continue to read. We'll get to the end here. because. So why is all of this relevant? Consider for a moment that many of the people in the Libertarian Party and the free market capitalist movement revere this woman. They call her one of the greatest minds in the history of mankind. And what were her values? What message did she bring to the world? The supposed great thinkers of all time compared herself to Aristotle. Um, She stated that people should be absolutely selfish. She glorified the selfish elites and demonized the common people. She authored the non-aggression principle but then justified manifest destiny and conquering in the name of progress with her negative attitude towards Native Americans. She took a lot of control over the people around her, all the while preaching absolute individual rights. Uh, People who follow her doctrine are generally fanatical about her, and any deviation from her teachings is treated as blasphemy. It's a great way to lose friendships with those who do value her. Uh, She glorified a vicious child murderer because of his lack of caring for others. So I ask you again, whose ideology would benefit an elite on the road to dominating the world? The reverence for Ayn Rand's work and the free-market-loving libertarian movement is in some circles reaching uh, religious proportions. Though in reviewing it closely, it seems like it probably had a lot of influence on some more mainstream politicians too, and not any that I would want in a position to control the world. Um, The links are given to the various uh, blog posts that I took from. Uh, You can get those in the blog. And uh, you can, if you didn't, like, if you're listening to the radio and you didn't get a chance to do that to review those links, you can go to vradio.org and um, click on the blog, and it's currently the one at the top. The name of the blog post is um, "What Philosophy Would Benefit the NWO?" So that's the end of the blog, um, and uh, I guess what you know we'll open up discussion uh, if anybody wants to call in. We can do that, too. I can add you via Skype, or, you know, if you want to do that, then you have to add me to your Skype, and then I can call. Or you can call in at this phone number, uh, local to New York. It's 347-945-7747. And now, overall, then, I guess we've kind of come full circle, Azzy. I wanted to talk about, you know, kind of what I'm getting at here is that, you know, for those of us who have seen this stuff about the New World Order and, you know, whether it exists or not, you know, uh, the allegations and the things that are supposedly planned for us in Endgame, the attitudes about things like eugenics, uh, about lowering the world's population, you know, that all sounds like stuff that, you know, one of Ayn Rand's heroes would have done. Do, do you agree?
0: Yeah, I agree completely.
1: That's, I, go ahead. It,
0: it's hard to um, see within that context at least how you could, you know, start, Putting that onto um, the RBE in, in a way—I—I I, I don't know. It's just—it's—it's uh, it's a lot to take in. Actually, it's—it's it's a lot of um, grim, uh, apathetic. Uh, it's just callous.
1: It is—it is very callous, you know, and that's. Especially, you know, why do they need to label us then? You know, it's like so. The people out there who are scared that they're being manipulated to be a tool of the new world order, I would think very hard about what kind of, you know, methodology and attitude the people who are telling you that is. Okay, Jacques Fresco was motivated by all of the suffering in the world to try to find a solution that makes everything better for everybody. Okay, Ayn Rand um, was raised in communist Russia. She basically defected to the United States. Um, And so she came from a situation where there was absolute authoritarianism going on. So I can understand to some degree why she hated it. But at the same token, I've seen a lot of people with this attitude, this anti-authoritarian attitude, who are very authoritarian in their own practices. You know, and that's the part of it for me that I think is the most scary is because of the fact that... um, This is the attitude that's being preached to us. Apparently even Ron Paul liked reading Ayn Rand, okay? Um, And Ron Paul is like a Christian. And I'm not going to demonize Ron Paul. I mean, I doubt he agreed with any of this evil stuff. But, you know, I remember, for example, uh, Russell Means, who's been on my radio show before in the past, uh, was a previous uh, libertarian presidential candidate. You know, I wonder if he knew about Ayn Rand's position on the Native Americans and how they didn't deserve to have the land, you know, um... And then once again, we talk about the psychology of it. The psychology that we practice is one that, you know, we should find ways to, you know, deal with people and understand them and their environments and then therefore find better ways to solve social problems rather than trying to expect prisons and all that to work the way that they do now or don't work. You know, whereas their attitude about this is that, you know, the people who are not as productive as me, well, they don't matter. They don't don't deserve to live even. You know, in that that train attack I was talking about, how they killed those all those people on that train, you know, in one of her books is an excellent example of that. This notion that these people had it coming because they practiced inferior thinking, and I think another one I I, I keep coming back to this is the notion that the the rich elite, the Donald Trumps and the, you know, the the Ted Turners and all these huge millionaires who supposedly make the world going around go around going on strike, you know. <laughs> And leaving us poor people to fend for ourselves, you know, um, it's not just that they went on strike either. As they pointed out, you know, they they went out of their way to sabotage the infrastructure on their way out. So that's, well, terrorism, essentially, to to achieve your end. Um,
0: The end justifies the means.
1: So, yeah, and and even the end isn't all that great. You know, like the idea that they're going to make us all kowtow back to them and come begging them for help. You know, please save us, you know, you financial overlords. You know, we need your help so badly. You know, we can't exist without you. Uh, Absolutely, it's fascism. But it's even worse. It's, once again, it's it's the capitalist version of fascism. Fascism to the highest bidder. Exactly. (laughs) So, I'm actually surprised we got through all of that as as quickly
0: as we did. Um,
1: Any closing thoughts, Azzy? Ah.
0: Yeah, I'm glad I'm not a neocon.
1: <laughs> well, if you ever decide you want to be, um, I hear there's these books done by this lady. Uh, she's kind of an inspirational thinker. Oh, oh. I see. <laughs> oh, you know what? That's actually another thing um, I wanted to bring up is that although Ayn Randi and people hate when you bring this up, uh, Ayn Randi used to be really into Nietzsche uh and Nietzsche uh, as many of you know is really into well it's basically a lot of Nietzsche's work was used uh for the Nazis um Adolf Hitler um you know used that whole attitude of human superman as opposed to you know uh you know the, the masses so to speak and you should just crush anybody that is weaker than you and anybody who's weaker than you doesn't deserve to live you know and that's you know you once again we talk about crazy associations well I'll tell you what okay um, you want to talk about, you know, circumstantial evidences towards a new world order. I'm a little bit more concerned about a woman who, you know, glorifies child murderers um, and, you know, creates fantasies for herself or her capitalist, you know, um, heroes, so to speak, destroy the world rather than having to deal with, you know, taxation and regulation. Um, you know, that attitude in of itself, you want to make associations Makes a lot more, maybe it basically brings a lot more concern to me about a new world order than a man named Jacques Fresco, who happens to live in a place called Venus, Florida, that was named Venus before he got there <laughs> by a long time, and um, therefore he must be Luciferian or satanic. Um,
0: <laughs> or, or he could have been a reptilian on the long and named it in the first place.
1: Oh, oh I hadn't thought about that. No. Reptilian. <laughs> but in any case um, thank you everybody for tuning into this episode earlier during the day so I didn't have as many live listeners as I usually do and um, thank you Azzy for coming on I know that you weren't feeling well today um, and once again everybody uh, you know, visit vradio.org v-radio.org um, I'm looking for donations for the month of February and I'm looking for donations to upgrade my system Um, And to recap, uh, the Resource-Based Economy Caucus within the Tea Party um, is uh, running three candidates, myself, Matthew Wagner, and I forget the name of the last gentleman, uh, (laughs) because I don't ever know these people by their real names, and um, the last one is Adrian uh, from TeamSpeak3, we're all running for a national committee. You can help us by joining the Boston Tea Party at no cost to you. Um, that allows you to vote in the polls and help elect us. The election is not until the convention, which is not until, uh, I think it's sometime in June, I'd have to look it up, but you can still join the party now and post on the blog there about the various ideas that we have for the Resource-Based Economy Caucus. Thanks again for tuning into V-Radio. Thanks again for being on, Adzi. No problem. And um, that being said, I guess I will leave us with some parting wisdom from Jacques and Roxanne.
0: This is Roxanne Meadows. And this is Jock Fresco. And you're listening to V Radio.